0: Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ Tanda and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, for episode 20. Our skill topic today is a little bit of a departure from our normal skill topics. We're talking about storytelling as a skill. Some might consider it an art, but there is a skill to the art,
1: if you think about it. Tom, What class is storytelling? Storytelling is a a class one, but I feel like I should explain that. That's kind of like the barrier to entry, right? Like anybody can kind of tell a story. You might be a skill level 1000 at storytelling, though. So I don't want you to think that like if you're a good storyteller, it's only a class one.
0: Right. So, you know, a two year old could tell a story that does not make them a master storyteller. So that is why the entry is so low. You may not be getting a good story. That's all we're trying to say. But, you know, some somebody's ears are going to start bleeding. Tanda, did you do any research on storytelling?
2: I did only a little bit of research on storytelling and just kind of the psychology of of people's memory of stories because it it kind of fascinates me how— well, two things. One— When you're telling a story, how much the listener hears of what you're saying and how much they're creating in their mind based on kind of loosely what they're hearing and how different that can be, which I find really fascinating. Um, We've heard statistics about, you know, people only remembering 50% of some kind of presentation and then the next day it drops to 25 and within a few days, very little of it is remembered. And then the other thing that I research that I found fascinating was that every time we um, they've, they've proven psychologically that every time we tell a story, we like pull it out of our long-term memory if we're telling a story about you know some deal we got a long time ago or something that happened to us. and and then we may embellish it because maybe our audience is, is bored or something and so we try to spice it up a little bit. And then we put that embellished story back into our memory. And then we retell it again, possibly leaving those embellishments in as truth, and firmly believing that they actually happened.
1: Do you recall Brian Williams telling a story about being in a cop uh, in a um, helicopter in Iraq that got shot down? Do you recall this at all? I don't. I don't remember that. Who's Brian Williams? Brian Williams, uh, a reporter. He's very famous. You would know him, but he he basically caught out years later and they're like, you were not in that helicopter. And there's a debate whether he, Oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I remember that. I do remember hearing about that. Yeah.
1: There was like this kind of debate about whether he was lying on purpose or, or like just misremembering. Now, I don't know how you misremember quite those significant details, but that happens to us all the time. You just completely, like you've told this story so many times Uh, And it's been tweaked over the years. And you just like the facts are just so messed up. Yeah, I think that there
2: are kind of two interesting stages, at least for me, of that. And one was recognizing that that happens and happens really frequently. And how firmly we or other people listening to what we're saying believe what they've just heard because they've created some version of it. And then the other thing that followed quickly behind was I have to be doing the same thing. I'm not that different than anybody else. And so, yeah. you know, just kind of not trusting your own memory unless you have some, you know, factual recording of it. Right. And so I just, I find that really fascinating that, you know, that there's this firmly held belief of something that happened in your past or something that you've just heard 20 minutes ago and two people in the room could recount it and and be vehement about you know, what was just said. Right. And both of them may be wrong. Or one may be right, one may be wrong.
0: So this is like a terrible combination for me because I can't remember anything to begin with. And then on top of that, I have like the imagination of like a five year old. So when anybody tells me a story, it automatically just gets rearranged and, you know, they were attacked by dragons, and you know the goldfish swallowed a finger, and this, you know, it's like every story I have. It's never the same, but it's hundred percent honest because I don't think I'm lying.
2: Right? Yeah, and I don't think right. I don't think anybody does. I mean, they, I mean, they truly believe. Just like the reporter, you know, they've they've pulled this out of memory. Maybe it's combined with with a dream or some other facts or something. It kind of gets mashed up, and then it gets put back. And when it gets put back into your long term memory. It, it gets put back as as truth. And so it's really, really fascinating to me. I, I think uh,
0: we forgot to preface the episode with why we were actually doing storytelling as a skill. And uh, the original conversation we had was because a lot of us do YouTube videos, and most successful YouTube videos have a storytelling element in them. So that's why we decided to choose this topic today.
1: I don't remember that conversation. But go on. Yeah, I thought we were talking about editing,
2: and and but I I don't know. I, I I could be wrong. I misremember. I'm just kidding. But but this sort of thing happens, you know, with us, um, you know, on a weekly basis, where we think that somebody said said something that they didn't.
1: Yeah.
0: Just remember, next next week's episode is on sewing. Don't forget that.
1: Yeah, I think Radiolab did a whole episode on this, and they they investigated their personal stories around 9-11, and how their personal stories, like the reporters, turned out to be pretty wrong. Like, one of them was like, asked his neighbor, who was his neighbor at the time, in, in New York, and she said something like, no, you were at the coffee shop, like, you weren't in your own apartment, like... I remember because I was with you or something, you know, and he just completely forgets those details.
0: I was in Memphis, Tennessee, so I and I was alone. <laughs> is
1: that So you told the FBI, I, I was delivering parts
2: to a customer and they and I got there and they were like, turn on your radio, Turn turn on your radio driving back. And so on the way back to my shop, I kind of was listening in and then turned on the TV in time to see everything play out.
0: I did get a phone call for that, yeah.
2: Are you sure? I am reasonably sure. I, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% sure, but I'm also 100% uh, sure that it could be fallible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to say, and I don't remember who it was, somebody called me at 8.30 in the morning and told me to turn on the TV. And they said that, if I remember correctly, they said the Twin Towers got hit, that that was the phrase that was used and i didn't like the, there was nothing about a plane or anything it was just the, tw- the twin towers got hit and for some reason i thought someone ran like a big truck or something into one of the towers that was the the immediate thought that came to mind obviously that was not the case anyway let's get off of the 911 train here tom did you not do research again
1: well, I'd like to tell you my research in the form of a story. Um, now, now this is a story all all about how um, my life got flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, just just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. I'll keep going. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground wheres where, is oh where I spent God. most Come of my on, days. Come on, Tom. Really? Out, maxing, what? Really? What? what? I'm trying to tell a story. You're
0: going to you're just going to totally rip story. off the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air's beginning like the the lyrics
2: to the song.
1: Who's who's that? Who's the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air?
2: Will Air. Smith. M- much like our episodes, Tom actually wrote that. Or, or at
1: least he thinks he did.
0: <laughs> He's told that story so many times he believes that he actually wrote well, it. Well,
1: listen, if you don't want to hear my input, I you know, maybe we should just move on to PJ's history and and keep it there.
2: Well, at least you're consistent. Yeah, we're, we're counting on you to have done some real research, PJ. Well, all Bring right.
0: Bring it home. Bring it home. So, of course, first I searched for storytelling superstitions. And <laughs> while I did find 47 different websites with superstitions about storytelling, I thought, no, let me look at, you know, a different, let me go a different route here. So I started looking up fun facts about storytelling. And I found several different websites, but one of them in particular kind of caught my eye. And it was five interesting facts about storytelling. So the first one's kind of obvious. Storytelling is an ancient art, and it's probably the the original, like the first art ever, because that's how um, lessons were learned and how histories were passed down. So Storytelling is as old as, you know, the human language, including the uh, cave paintings and Lascaux. Then it goes on to say that we are all good at storytelling. I don't really agree with that. Uh, I think that everyone tells stories. I don't think everyone's good at telling stories. So that was that was number two.
2: I would have to agree because the the people who were not good at telling stories from the era you're talking about died out.
0: That's true. That's true. <laughs> None of yeah. them are alive today.
2: Yes. every Everyone everyone that procreated were people that could tell a good story.
0: That's true. Storytelling influences everyone. Uh, there have been a lot of studies done on human behavior. Uh, in 2008, a researcher by the name of Jeremy Hsu found out that the human brain is more engaged by storytelling than by simple logistical facts. And other studies have shown that uh, reading fictional literature also makes the reader more social. So stories and uh, reading make you a better human being. Who knew?
2: Is that and that's strictly fictional reading? I I disagree. So if you if you're reading encyclopedias then
1: it you may not be quite as social.
0: Probably not. Probably the the opposite. You'd be
1: antisocial. All right, in my experience, introverts are often readers and it doesn't help them. So I don't I disagree. I'm I do not like to read fictional stories at all. I think it's a waste of time for me, not for you, but for me. And uh, I'm very social. I mean, I've made friends in, in the grocery store line before.
0: I don't think that the facts stated were exclusive to storytelling. You can be social without reading, Tom. It's just was saying that some people who were less social became more social after reading.
1: Hmm. Sure enough. It's, it's, it it's
0: not an absolute is what I'm trying to say here. It's science well there was a study done so technically yeah it was it is scientific moving on storytelling uses patterns uh, there is a limited set of templates for stories and that's why stories are used all the time as a form of communication the most frequently used one is the problem and resolution story where you are introduced to the people that are involved Uh, a problem arises or there's an enemy that shows up and they give you some unexpected thing, some problem that you have to deal with, and then the story becomes about the fight to solve this problem. And usually it takes multiple attempts before the problem is overcome. And whoever is the focus of the story then is validated in their efforts. Uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, that's, that's a story that we're all familiar with. There's a problem, the problem gets solved, everybody's happy at the end. Uh, The fifth thing, which I thought was very interesting to be included here, is that your product is not the right hero for your storytelling. And there's a storytelling expert named Ron Plouffe who says that most brands set a service or a product as the hero, and this is not the best approach. Putting the customer as the hero and in the story makes it easier for the customer to relate to the story, and then the brand acts as a mentor, and the product or service is like a magical gift that the hero will use to defeat the enemy. Um, so obviously, if you have a problem, you want to be empowered by whatever it is that they're offering. So if you, if you know, like, like okay, the iPhone is a perfect example of this. The iPhone does so many different things, and... It's all focused on making Apple's – well, I don't know about now, but Apple's focus used to be on the customer experience. Now now it seems to me like they're changing things just to change them, which I don't like. But a lot of the stuff is good. I, I don't, I, I'm a big Apple fan. But anyway, if you, you look at a lot of the Apple-based products, they are centered around the people, like specifically music. They're oh they're huge on music you know they don't they don't really focus so much on the music players even though they have tons uh, but the point being they understand how to make people feel empowered by their products and uh, if you focus more on the product people are less likely to uh, adopt it that's that's what they're saying
2: yeah I definitely would have to agree and I think that companies that that do that really stand Head and shoulders above the others in their advertising. And the one that comes to mind is is Johnson's hardware. I, I gotta
0: agree. Johnson's is definitely in the tops of their field when it comes to uh storytelling and empowering.
2: Yeah. I don't know who their advertising agency is, but uh but they do good job. They do a good job.
0: We should find that out, you know. We
2: we Yeah, we, maybe point them toward Apple.
0: That's true. That's true. They could they could use a little help. Yeah.
2: Keep them, from, keep them from veering off. You've
0: know? you just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. Well, it was a good week for deals. Not only do I have a deal for the dealer's corner, Tom also has something. And being the gentleman that I am, I'm of course going to let Tom go first and tell us his yes. deal.
1: Yes. I I bought a bunch of stuff this week. It's been a while since I bought a bunch of stuff, but I just kept going. First deal. I didn't name these. Tanda, maybe you can name these after I tell them. Yeah, I'll be thinking on it. All right, great. Uh, 14 minutes after the Facebook Marketplace posted a lathe for sale, I contacted... Oh, I don't remember his name. I remember his father's name. I contact, I'm going to just talk about Raymond. I contacted Raymond and I said, I'll take it. Where are you? And uh, I think I was at his house within an hour of the original listing, but it's an Atlas lathe. I think it's a 10 inch lathe. It might be a nine inch. I didn't measure it, but it's very similar to my South Bend 9A. And it was, it was his father Raymond's. And I think his father sold his house and like downsized or moved in with somebody And didn't was going to just junk it. And his son said, well, let me take it. Maybe I'll set it up someday. And he never did. He said, 10 years later, here it is in my shed full of dust and uh, caked in with the oil and grease that was on it before. And it's it's beautiful. I mean, it's dirty, but it's beautiful. It's got, I believe it to be an original motor. And it's very similar to my Unisaw motor, which is like a 90-pound, one-horsepower motor. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to... I'm assuming it's a repulsion induction motor, which is like predates the universal motors. I don't know a lot about that stuff, but that's all I know. It has the original stand, the A frame legs. It has the original chip tray, which goes under between the legs and the lathe. Like it goes, it's like a giant rectangular tabletop. And uh, a four jaw chuck tailstock headstock all the bits and pieces i don't know what lathe it is yet because the the compound is sitting in the middle of the lathe and i can't move it until i clean it and the label i believe is in the middle of the lathe under the compound so uh, i haven't determined which model it exactly is but i haven't told you the best part it was 50 bucks
0: for a lathe yeah and wow. do you remember what my response was when you told me that you got that for 50 bucks tom uh i don't my response was you need to find me one of those ones for 50 bucks
1: oh yes <laughs> yeah I... <laughs> well i found this yeah, one tom
0: has three machine lathes i have zero machine lathes and you know <laughs> two of his were free and then the third one's 50 bucks I'll settle for free or 50 bucks. Whatever you find next, just, you know, just grab it. <laughs> I'll drive out there and pick it up,
1: okay? Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, it was a good deal. So Tom's averaging under under 20 bucks a lathe. I did see one today for $100, but I ignored it and I don't remember why, but it wasn't it wasn't good. I don't uh, I don't recall why I kind of just shook it off. Well, I don't want a not good lathe. Know. It's got to
0: be a good lathe.
1: Yeah, it was like it was one of those where you might lose a hundred bucks, you know. Um, all right, so then I, I got two more things, and they were not, I wouldn't say they were deals, but I bought a tractor, a lawn tractor, nothing special, very small John Deere lawn tractor from 1990 something. I needed a tractor, and I paid top dollar. I did not get a deal, but I saw in the pictures. Here's like a pro tip, ready? The picture of the tractor on Facebook was in the guy's driveway and behind it was a perfectly manicured lawn in winter. Which tells me that his tractor is also immaculate. So I knew I was buying a very good condition tractor. So I went and picked it up and sure enough he was a talker. He told me every part he ever replaced on this thing and and he made sure to buy like even he was buying John Deere air filters or maybe it was Kohler it's a Kohler engine I don't know what he said but he like I, I think if I look through the packet of papers he gave me there might be receipts for oil changes in it like that's how meticulous this guy was so I bought a really really good condition tractor which is what I wanted because I didn't want to tinker I wanted to use it and then the next day I picked up I was going to go to Harbor Freight to pick up a trailer. What? For $120. What? No. What? Yeah, Harbor Freight. Oh, my God. I needed one. I wanted to do work that day. I think it was Sunday. And I needed I needed a trailer. And I was like, I'm going to go buy one. But that morning, I saw on Facebook Marketplace, again, a John Deere 10-cubic-foot plastic trailer plastic is kind of better in a lot of ways the metal ones get dinged up and scratched and rust uh, I think these things are like 250 bucks new I paid a $100 which again is top dollar but this thing was in great shape and uh, it'll serve me for years and years and guess what in 10 years from now I can probably sell it for a 100 bucks
0: probably yeah that's true yeah but those are my deals those are some solid deals. Those I mean, you know, even even the tractor that you paid a premium price for because it was so meticulously cared for. I mean, it's basically like, you know, it's a it's a turnkey machine. You didn't have to do anything. Right. So, I mean, that's right. definitely worth it.
1: And I will say when I'm buying something to resell, I would never buy that tractor, but I needed it for me. Right. Right? Like right. I it's totally different and the deal that is adequate is is a very different... Like, it carries a different value. I don't know how to say that any differently.
0: When it's something for yourself, it definitely
1: takes on a different set of parameters. It does. I still look towards the resale, though. Like, that tractor in five years is still worth 500 bucks, as long as I don't destroy it.
0: That's a big if, Tom. It's mm-hmm. a big if.
1: It is a big if. PJ, what's your deal?
0: Well... Similar to you, Tom, I picked up something for myself, and uh, it was an unexpected deal, but it's been, well, it was about three and a half weeks in the making. I saw on Facebook Marketplace this ad pop up uh, with the same guy had two different things. He had a clausing variable speed. uh, I I just realized the terminology. Uh, It's a gang mount drill press gang mount is when you have several drill presses together in a row and i i just didn't know that term before or i forgot it it's entirely possible but yeah gang mounted drill press on a cast iron table and then that was one ad that he had up it was uh 200 bucks and then he had uh, apparently on the same table but a different listing there was a walker turner gang mounted drill press however the walker turner had a power feeder hmm. powered down so it automatically drilled so that was listed for $300 this was uh, a beautiful machine uh, it was somebody had painted it green the original color was gray i found out later but uh, it had a really nice um, belt cover on it and everything so anyway 300 bucks and you know that's just that's not a deal so then the next week rolls around and I notice it's down to 200 bucks. And I'm like, okay, well, it's, it's, I'm surprised nobody snatched it up. The closing was already gone. This one was still for sale. So I just kind of took note and then you know went away. And then a week later, I'm searching not for drill presses, but for bandsaws. And in the middle of my bandsaw search, that same drill press comes up and it's a hundred bucks. And so I immediately messaged the guy and I said, would you take 75? And he's like, nope, a hundred dollars firm. And I said, okay, okay, uh, I'm willing to take it for a hundred. He goes, all right, well, you got to pick it up in New Jersey. <sighs> so it ended up that this was at a working business and they're one of the, the last few companies that manufactures steam pumps. And uh, I didn't know that this was still a thing, that they were, but apparently mm. there are still several boats and not just boats, but I think uh, sewage treatment plants or there's, there's stuff along the coast that uses steam pumps uh, to move water. Anyway, uh, you'll love this, Tom, cause it falls into your three to four letter name category. His name was Don. And I, I got to talk. And, oh yeah, oh yeah. So I got to talking with Don, and uh, we arranged mm-hmm. a time for me to come down and pick this thing up. Now, I, I should point out that um, when we loaded it onto my truck, Don used a crane. We we didn't actually lift it ourselves. You know, there was, and when I say a crane, I mean it was probably about twenty feet tall. Had an electronic control to you know winch it off the floor, and um, you know so I didn't I didn't really realize exactly how heavy it was until I got home.
1: Mm.
0: Now the the power feed option on this um, Walker Turner, which by the way I found out after the fact, it's a model eleven hundred, and this is the 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 badge on the front is a Walker Turner division of Carney Trekker. Kearney Trekker bought Walker-Turner in 1948, and they owned them until 1956 when that was sold to Rockwell, and then Rockwell made Walker-Turner. So from what I've been able to pick up, based on the design of the drill and the fact that it's a Kearney and Trekker, it looks like this is a 1948 drill press. I originally thought it was a 1952 but I found in 1952, and it is completely remodeled. So this was also, if you look back older, the older Walker-Turner before it was sold had the same design, so they just hadn't changed it.
1: Does yours have a step pulley, like, in the middle of the drill press? Do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Uh, yes, I do, because mine is missing. There is, in order to run the power feed— there is a pulley that's on the left side. And it so you have the, the two main four-speed pulleys that run the actual drill press quill. And then at the bottom of the four-speed pulley for the quill, there is a tiny wheel that then you run a small belt off to the side and it runs a very large single pulley wheel that then has a shaft that goes down to a four-speed pulley. And then from that four-speed pulley, it goes through the cast iron body to the other side to attach to the power feed. So it's a very complicated system. However, uh, that pulley system, like the the single pulley and the four-speed pulley to transfer power was never attached. And the reason I know this is because Don and I talked about it, and this company had several other of these machines. So when I noticed the part was missing, I asked Don if we could go and take a look at some of the other drill presses. And we walked inside the factory, and we found two of them in the same room. And you could tell from looking at them that they didn't have the part, and the part had never been mounted. There was no evidence on the paint that one had ever been put on and taken off. There was no indentations. They bought them that way. So my guess is, uh, this, this, first off, this is a three phase motor. It's a one horsepower three phase drill press running at 1140 RPMs. So super low speed. On top of the fact that with the power feeder, it can go even slower. And they were doing all kinds of metal drilling in this place. So my guess is in the 1940s, when they actually needed a drill press to do low RPM metal drilling, this was the only option, but they decided that they didn't want the power feed option. So I'm guessing that Kearney Trekker was like, "Okay, well, then um, we'll we'll sell it to you at a discount. We'll just take this part off so you can't use the power feed." But they but they hmm. still got like the power feed module. They just didn't get a way to to run it. So now I have to find one of those, or or I have to manufacture the part myself, which is not terribly complicated, but still. It's, you know, it's a thing. The other thing that is more of a technical difficulty, this happens to be a Morse taper drill press. So there's no chuck. So now I need to also find a Morse taper one drill chuck that I can put in there because I do not want to buy a set of Morse taper drill bits. So I'm on the lookout for one of those also. However, for $100, and a trip to New Jersey. This was That's a huge mm-hmm. drill press. It is a massive drill press. And just to give you an idea of how massive it is, the column for this drill press is over three and a half inch radius. The, the circumference is over. It's it's. This is by far. This is an inch and a half bigger than any other column I've ever worked on. So it it, yeah. it is it is massive. It is the type of column that if you were to get hit with this, you are not getting up. Right. The only damage that I could find to the entire machine, which by the way was other than being dirty was in pristine condition. At some point something ran into the drill press and hit the cover, the the belt cover. And there is a a, a chip off of the back of the belt cover. It just you could tell it just chipped right off. It's about maybe I don't know, five inches long. It just it's it's about one inch wide, so it's not huge. But then one of the mounting points had completely broken off, and then somebody had welded it back on. So you could you could tell that something ran into it. But the rest of the drill press is in perfect working order. And uh, the reason that they were selling it was because they didn't they had stopped using it. But up until the point when I bought it, it was still in service. And they have four other ones in the factory that are still working, which they may get rid of at some point in time. And, you know, I I, I work my little magic with Don. And, and while we were loading it up, the CEO of the company walked up and he struck up conversation. And I said, hey, I said, if you guys are looking to get rid of these things and, you know, you're not, you, you know, trying to charge me $500 a pop. If you want to get rid of them for $100 a piece, I will come and take everyone that's here. And they're like, well, well, we're still using the ones we have. I was like, I understand, but, you know, Don's got my number. And the CEO was like a super chill dude. Apparently, he had just bought the company, and this was his way of reorganizing, was to get rid of anything that wasn't necessary. And um, so then he walked walked off, and uh, Don had told me over the phone that this was going to get thrown in the dumpster. And then just as like a split second, the CEO was like, why don't you try to sell it? So then I asked Don, I was like, can I go look in the dumpster? And he's like, yeah, let's go take a look. So I go over to the dumpster, and I just start pulling stuff out. And this this is like a big industrial company, so there was a uh, a go no go um, steam valve tool. Um, there was two other tools that had uh, aluminum shafts, but then it had like a steel. It almost looked like a drive pulley, uh, the kind where it's got like a uh, multiple ridges, like for a timing belt, uh, like you would see mm-hmm. in, a, in an engine. So there was two of those. Um, I pulled out three stainless steel pistons that had, for, were ejected for some reason or another. Uh, there was either—it was a—I I don't know if it was Snap-on or Craftsman, but it was a red and silver tool drawer from, like, one of those multi-wheeled like wheeled tool, um, tool boxes. And, uh, oh, and th- actually the first thing I found was a massive six-inch bearing. And the thing has to weigh like, I don't know, 25, 30 pounds. And it's one of the bearings that goes inside the steam pump. And when I picked it up, he's like, oh, yeah, that goes in this. And they had several steam pumps outside that were just sitting there that were older models. And I'm like, Don, how, how many steam pumps do you guys actually make in a year? I mean, like, it doesn't seem like this is like a business that would still be going. And he goes, well, like a good year, we do about 10. I said, really? Wow. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, well, you see this little one over here? I said, yeah. He goes, yeah, that's four hundred thousand dollars.
1: Yeah. What? <laughs> you, when
0: you're the only one. Yeah. Well, that was the that's small crazy. one. That was the the big one. More money. Right. So yeah, you figure you sell ten small ones, it's four million dollars. You know, you're you're, yeah. you're set. I mean, anybody's this could stay going for that. So anyway, that was that was my haul, and uh, I'm gonna call this. The power feeder haul because this is the first power feeder I've ever come across. That was the only reason I drove to New Jersey. If it was just a regular Walker Turner drill press, I would have left it there. Uh, and of course, I can't, it's still in my truck. Can't move it. The thing is, is not movable. Uh, Kyle is coming over with his friend Keenan, who's a blacksmith who I've met once before, and they're bringing a cherry picker and all three of us are going to get it out of my truck. And then somehow managed to get it inside my shop. I'm going to have to empty out the entire shop. Like everything, like all nine bandsaws that are in there got to come out, the table saw. The, like everything's got to come out of there in order to get this thing in. And on top of that, I I know what's going to happen. There's a lip going from the driveway down into into my garage. And every time I have to bring anything out, it always hits this lip and it's a problem. So I've been putting down like a wood, like plywood to kind of help. But I'm so sick and tired of it. I went to Lowe's today, and I got fiber-reinforced cement, and I'm just going to fill in the lip and make, like, a little ramp. And I don't care if it lasts three years as long as I could just get stuff out of there without having the whole—like, some stuff that's heavy tries to tip over when it goes in. So I'm like, eh, I don't think I want to do that with a cherry picker, and this thing probably weighs, like, 400 pounds. So— yeah, that's that's my story.
2: That's good. Nice. That's good.
1: Wouldn't it, it name mine? Oh,
2: man. Yours should be named uh, Top Dollar Tractors and the 14-Minute Lightning Lathe.
0: <laughs> Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. All right. It's time for personal history with
1: storytelling. Tom? I don't think I'm a good storyteller. Now, if you watch me on Instagram, I do lots of stories, but my method of storytelling on there is just hit record and speak everything I'm thinking as I'm thinking it and correct it as I'm saying it. So if I were to be tasked with sitting down and writing, uh, let's call it a story for a YouTube video, I'm conscious of what that means, but I don't know how to put the nuts and bolts together and create that simple story. I did a video about building my computer cart, my motorized computer cart. I labeled it the laptop killer, um, which it is definitely not. I bought a laptop just recently. But in that video, I I attempted to tell two stories simultaneously that had common threads. And one was, I found a free shop vac at the dump, and I brought it home, I cleaned it up, I tested it, and I sold it. That was the story of the shop vac. And at the same time, I'm making this computer cart out of junk. I had a free motorized uh, scooter component, and free reclaimed wood, and I had to build it, and then I showed myself using it. So I tried to tell these stories simultaneously, but... I don't think it lands, like, I, I, I. there are missing components in my storytelling ability. So I'm interested in learning a little bit more about that, even today. Understandable. Well, we're all
0: constantly learning how to tell better stories, Tom. So maybe you'll pick up a few little tidbits here and there from me and Tanda. Tanda, what is your personal history with storytelling?
2: I would say I'm not, I'm not naturally a storyteller. And just in conversation, I think there are people... Uh, like PJ, who just natively spin a story about whatever has happened and it just flows out. And in conversation, I don't uh, I don't tell stories. I'm kind of just, just the facts, just the information you need. And I don't really try to make a story out of it, or I don't naturally do that. No, even knowing that that might, you know, be better in getting my point across at times, but I'm just kind of You know, just just the facts. If I am consciously writing a story or crafting a a speech, I I did a deep dive into public speaking a few years back and really got into to doing public speaking and presentations and stuff. And I think I do a, a reasonable job at crafting a story and telling a story and putting the elements in that that make for a good story with twists and and humor and so forth, but it's a very intentional thing. It's not something that I just do in everyday conversation. So uh, I think that's where I'm more interested. If I'm making a video or I'm I'm doing something kind of off the cuff, um, I'd like to be better at making it more of a story.
0: So it's your that's the difference between something that is like a prepared, thought-out system, and something that's improv, basically, is what you're comparing to.
2: Right. I mean, I, I'm, I, I like improv, and I do well with improv, but that's kind of a—that's getting ready to do improv and then doing improv, which is different than just relating something that happened um, and making it really interesting. So that the person is is being told a story instead of me just relating what happened. I
0: think part of that has to do with experience. When you have, um, I'll I'll dive into that a little bit. Did you did you want to add anything else before I dive in, Tanda?
2: No, just that. Yeah, I think it is just just being cognizant of it and and the experience of you know a good story. Often you present the problem and then you tell how you solved it. And if I'm just relating something to someone, I'll just do a timeline. And I, and I won't think to set it up and then come back around to how I got there, like you would with a story. I just start at the beginning and, and go through.
0: As I was listening to the two of you talk about how you tell your stories and things like that, I started wondering where exactly my style uh, came from, where it stemmed from. And while this probably is not going to be a very popular answer, uh, I was a huge fan as a kid of Bill Cosby's comedy. And Bill Cosby told stories. He didn't tell jokes, he told funny stories. And I actually wanted to be a comedian when I was 13. Like that was my my two choices for like occupations were comedian and inventor. Those are the two things I wanted to do. I think that that's where the basis started of being able to tell an entertaining story. Moving forward, uh, I had I've been writing and uh, thinking about stories for decades, and it's just been something like even before I was writing stories. My brother and I, my brother and I are four years uh, I'm four years older than him. Uh, We used to get these giant pads from my father, and we would actually write we would draw stories. We would draw like our own cartoons. My brother had a character. I had a character and page by page of these giant, like say uh, two foot by one foot pads, we would draw like one giant cell for each page of the story. And uh, that's that was our way of like spending time together. And uh, then of course that moved into uh, writing actual stories and things like that. For those of you that don't know, uh, I've written two novels. Uh, I've written over 40 screenplays. Um, about maybe a third of those are feature films. The rest of them are shorts and TV series. None of them, uh, other than the ones that I personally made, uh, none of the ones that I wrote for the industry have gone into production, although it is possible I have one that's with a producer right now, and that producer has had it for several years, and he keeps telling me every year, this, this is going to be the year, but you know we'll see if it ever happens. Every story has to have some basic fundamental values. Obviously, there's a main character. Whether you're talking about a story that you're writing or a movie or you're doing Instagram stories, uh, the thing to understand about a main character is the thing that sets them apart from everybody else is that they have willpower. They don't have to be the strongest. They don't have to be the smartest. But they have to be able to make the decisions that other people can't make. That's what makes them likable. They do the hard thing. And sometimes they do the hard thing terribly, but they still do it. So when you come to things like Instagram stories, and this is kind of what I was talking about, Tanda, with with experience, when you're doing something that's sort of off the cuff, the thing to keep in mind is you you want to have highs and lows. You don't want to keep everything even keel. Even keel puts people to sleep. So you want something that's going to gonna throw them off guard. You want to either create problems and then solve those problems, or you want to say things that no one is used to hearing. Uh, for instance, you guys are very familiar with the fact that, although you haven't heard from him in a while, Memphis lives in my shop, and he does all kinds of bad things off camera. You can't see him doing it, but you hear him talking to me. He brings that stupid shop gator up, Buford, and walks him around the shop and terrorizes me with it but the point is that's one of those unknown elements you and i still have people ask me like where's memphis because he hasn't been around since last summer he's around but he's been down in florida because it's been cold and he doesn't like cold and the do gators so like this is this is part of like the experience i have good reason as to why no one has seen him you know this is all running in the background and it's just like everything else uh if I am doing if I'm talking about anything in the shop, uh I will say something and then watch the story and if it doesn't seem interesting to me, I will delete it and say it in a different way. Even if it's the exact same thing I said, I will like uh there was there was a story I did uh I don't know, last week I think. And I said, you know, um I'm doing this thing so that I can be a good human. And then after I watched that and I posted it, I had been talking and pointing at something, and not on camera. Then I flipped it around on myself, and I said, "And and of course, by good human, I mean a human like all of you. Not that I was born on some other planet. I'm I, I was born here with 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 all of you on on this planet, and and made it completely awkward <laughs> on purpose because that to me was funny. Right. So." These are the kind of little uh, earmarks that you have to build up over time. I have been doing these weird stories on Instagram so long that it's just, I don't even have to think about it. It's just second nature because I've sort of, uh, I don't want to say I've perfected my style, but this is how my stories occur. It's not the same thing as doing a YouTube video. When you're doing a YouTube video, there has to be a beginning, middle, and end. It's not, uh, you, you can't have a beginning, middle, and end with Instagram stories, but it's so much more loose and chaotic because you don't know when you're gonna stop that it's forgivable if you just stop sort of in the middle, which I have done many times over. However, when you come to videos, the first thing I wanna say is the thing that, in my opinion, the thing that makes a video work is your personality. And so that's what sets you apart from everybody else. I, when I first started doing videos, tried to be an instructional teacher and do like how-to videos for people to do the things that I was doing. And what I found out was nobody was interested. Nobody wanted to hear me do how-to videos. They just, I got zero, not zero response, but very, very low response. When I changed my ACT UP, and started doing YouTube videos, how I do my Instagram stories, which was with me as the character and what I was doing as more of like a secondary thought, then people started to pay more attention. It was like, oh, how's he gonna do it? Not how am I gonna do what he's doing? Nobody wants to do what I'm doing. They wanna see how I'm doing it because I make things look interesting. Like I, I, I restore a vice and then I lick it to find out what flavor it is. That kind of interesting you
2: know. Right. Now, now, part of part of learning is always kind of just becoming aware of, of, you know, kind of that meta level that's going on behind. So when you watch YouTube, do you think, oh, that's a well-crafted story? Are you thinking, oh, they put together a good story or they didn't put together a good story? Or is it just good when it's a good story and it's not if it's just a timeline of you know, cause I, I watch, um, YouTube videos and when I'm, when I'm really thinking about this, the ones that I like are not just, you know, first shot, second shot, third shot in the order that things happened. They really are telling a story. They're, they're giving you that tease of a little bit further down the, the chain of events so that you, see, oh, how did they get there? Then they go back a little. Maybe that happens two or three times. Um, and then there are some mishaps that they have to overcome. So it really is a, a story, even if it's a short maker YouTube video. And those are just e- easy to watch because we're built to to take in stories.
0: I'll, I'll give you an example of somebody that is, their storytelling technique is perfect for YouTube. And that's Paul Jackman. A lot of times, Paul doesn't really talk very much in his stories, but if you've ever watched one of his videos, there is definitely a style to it, and he's very, very entertaining. A lot of his humor is super dry, straight-faced, just dead-on hilarious. And I've yet to see one of his videos where that does not hold true. Um, but as for your, your, your previous question, when I'm watching a YouTube video, uh, the story element is one part of it. But then the other thing that throws me out is because I am a professional video editor, if I see something that the editing – like editing creates part of the story. So you can have a good story and then have bad editing, and that will throw an audience right out because it's not – it's not in keeping. If the editing doesn't support the story, it 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 falsifies it. That's the best way I could put it. It doesn't seem right. And even if you don't know, you you don't have to be an editor. All you have to know is you look at something and it makes you feel weird or uncomfortable or it throws you out. Um, that's bad editing or bad storytelling. It could be a combination of both. Most of the time when I'm looking at stuff, I just want to be entertained. I'm not really, I would say like, 10% of what I look at on YouTube is me looking for information. Like I need to learn how to do something and I just want some quick fact. Um, but the other 90%, I don't want to think about what I'm watching. I just want somebody to make me smile or laugh or show me something interesting without like dragging it out.
2: Even when I'm in information gathering, I'll, I'll watch the beginning of three videos and choose the one that I think I can make it all the way through. Um, because <laughs> you can tell right away, you know, just a pacing or, you know, there's just something about it. Um, and maybe that kind of goes back to the editing or just the thought put into making it succinct, succinct. But it's, uh, I, I quite often, even if I'm just information gathering, will watch three or four, be, you know, Videos one minute in, and then watch the one that's that's easier to watch and a better story all the way through.
0: A good example of pacing and storytelling together is Jimmy Doresta. Jimmy doesn't talk in his videos uh, unless you're a Patreon member, which which I am not. So um, all the videos I watch of his are just the ones that he releases on YouTube that are voiceless. There's no voiceover, but he has a he's mastered his technique of showing just the right amount of stuff sped up in such a way that it's entertaining and you know people say that you know if you do that then you're copying his style you know Jimmy didn't invent speeding up video that's been around right. for since since film has been around
2: i i really enjoy and i don't know what it is about it but the the editing and pacing of his vlogs which alternate between him talking and it's and it's slower and it's obviously you know has to be one-to-one speed with just things that happened that relate to the time that has passed between, you know, the events that he's talking about.
0: That is, if you remember me talking about the highs and lows, that's what the vlog's what Jimmy does. He'll he's He's talking to you, and then he immediately flips it over to a video that's got action, then it comes back to him talking where it's slower, then it goes back to the action. So that's the valleys and the peaks that keeps you involved if it was just him talking for like 10 minutes and then all of a sudden there was 10 minutes of action videos, it wouldn't have the same effect. Like you you would have already tuned out after 10 minutes of just staring at him talking. So that's, that's what I was trying to say is you have to keep everything moving up and down uh, visually and emotionally to keep people engaged.
1: You know, uh, I, I don't know. I've been silent for a while. I'm really thinking about what you guys are talking about. But I really enjoy doing my stories on Instagram and the more you guys are talking, the more I kind of am confirming my, the way I do things for me, like I like it for me and that'd be great if other people liked it too. Like I don't prepare a story for Instagram and I know the bar is low for telling a story on Instagram. I get that. That's why I really like it, but I am bringing you into my thought process as closely as possible. The only thing between the thoughts in my brain and you watching them on the screen is the conversion to speech. Like that's it. And sometimes I don't even do that. And I really enjoy it. Let me, let me put a little bug in your ear, Tom. So yeah,
0: here's, here's a little thought nugget for you. You do your finite Fridays, which is like a 15 second clip, like a little, a little punny advertisement imagine if you did all of your stories like that all the time how how different your uh, your appearance would be to people that view you as a character um it would take a lot more work on your part right but imagine if you did so that the
1: finite Friday the finite Friday is was created to poke fun at that Mm -hmm. at overproducing. Mm -hmm. Like if you notice the intro and outro of finite Friday is two thirds of the 22nd clip. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the actual meat of it is very short and that's all intentional and it's always a pun and it's like super high energy, which is just not like sometimes I'm high energy, but other times I'm like really thinking about something and trying to figure something out or observing something. Um, like what you get from my stories is actually my personality, like the highs and the lows of my enthusiasm. I think your stories work
2: though, because of that, because you are pretty good at telling a story. I mean, that's how it comes out because you, your stories start with your problem statement or like, I, I'm trying to figure this out and I can't figure it out or whatever. And then you kind of circle back um, to what you're trying and and how you're approaching it, and so I think it has yeah. some some elements of of the story that are that make it work.
1: Right now, the YouTube, the switch to YouTube is very difficult. But when I started doing Instagram stories, I did it to get comfortable in front of a camera, and I'm very comfortable now. But I was very uncomfortable in front of the camera when I started out doing YouTube, and. You can see, I could probably point you to the first video that was heavily influenced by me doing Instagram stories and like everything switched. It switched from like a dry delivery to like, here, come on along. Let's go do this thing, you know? Um, But it's hard to craft a concise story when that's my mentality. And I think I struggle with that. I think there's a solution. I don't know what it is, but I think there's a solution there. When you're entertaining yourself and you're enjoying it,
0: other people join you for the ride. And that's that's mm-hmm. what you want. You know, when you're doing some basically you're you're performing live. That's that's really what this is. You're doing a live vlog when you're doing Instagram stories. So if you can make it enjoyable for yourself, that's what people are gonna key in on. I I, I would say I mean, I probably follow over three thousand people on Instagram. I watch like the same twenty people every day, you know. Right. And then when it when it dips over into somebody else, I, I immediately it throws me out because their storytelling is very monotonous and it's very informational. And you know, that could be their personality.
1: They might not have like an over the top personality. And and that's not good or bad. That is, there is an audience for everybody, right? That's just what you're looking for. I just want to put that out there. Like, there is an audience for everybody. Even if you are the dry, monotonous person, like, there are other dry, monotonous people, and there are thousands or millions of them that enjoy that delivery, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm clicking off the video pretty quick, but... (laughs) Yeah, I'm not digging on those people.
0: Right. Not at all. I'm not putting anybody down. I'm saying for me personally, I key in on people that are for, for lack of a better term that are like me. they're they're telling their right. stories like me. they're entertaining, they're positive they're I'm not looking for people that are complaining and I'm not looking for information. If I want information I can go look it up and right you know I, I don't like any kind of negativity. So that's my personal preference. Some people like just like people watch the news for information. I hate the news. I, I, I don't watch the news by accident. I see it. That's when the news comes on. So everybody's <laughs> tr- got their own thing. I'm not trying to put anybody down. I'm No, no, no. I didn't.
1: I was just clarifying. I, didn't, I, didn't think, I, I think I've
2: probably done maybe a handful of Instagram stories. And they were just, I mean, they were videos that I uploaded. And so they uploaded as a story. I don't think I've with intention really done any
1: Instagram stories, So maybe it's something I should, should play with. I'll tell you what it, it made me much more comfortable. I mean, that's my personality anyway, but it made me much more comfortable in front of the camera. But Tanda, I, I could just follow you around all day with all the crazy (laughs) you do and, and have an entire channel just on that, like observing Tanda, like, there, you like the things you post are like no one else in on the planet is doing this stuff, and you're getting paid to do it, or maybe. Well, I just make that I just I just
2: make all of that up. I don't I don't actually. Yeah, it's all fake. Yeah. I, I I hire I hire people to make things, and then I just take pictures of them and make up story make up stories about them. <laughs> it's all fake news. It's all fake yeah, news. It's,
1: it's, all all fake, it's all fake news. It's all fake news. Oh man, yeah speaking of fake news, geez. No, I, I try to be incredibly genuine. And what's weird is that I, I would say that what you're seeing on my Instagram stories is truly me. I'm alone. Like nobody's around. I don't even know you're watching. And like, that's just me on the screen. And then if you meet me, at like an event, like I'm usually pretty perky and, and happy to talk to everybody, but I'm not usually like switched on, you know? Like I'm not I'm not um as high energy all the time I can be. But uh you know that's that's what I really like about it is because it's like this space for me to actually be who I am without judgment. And if you judge me I just block you. Like that's how it works. And it's great.
2: Yeah, I'm just weird. If I'm in my shop by myself, I'm you know, I I don't I don't know. I other people would probably uh you know, just just tune out quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. It, I mean the no. internal dialogue, I mean if I shared what what goes through my head, um I I would have to think about that.
1: No, that's the point. You don't think about it. You just say it.
2: I don't find it that interesting. Um you know, but but maybe Maybe it would. Maybe it would be.
0: It's going to be interesting to someone. That's the thing. That's what we're talking about. Is is someone's going to find it interesting? I mean,
2: the few things that I've done, like just dancing around my shop or whatever, because something struck me as funny, and so I, I either reenacted it or on the next one I made or whatever, I, you know, I, I played along with this the humor I found in in the process or whatever have have, you know there have been a lot of interaction on those mm-hmm. and so uh, i think that it's that it's true that if i find it funny or i find it you know some some humor in it or or something odd about it that uh, that other people will as well
0: i've said it many times over i don't do stories for people to watch i do them for me right because i think that they're interesting and if other people find them interesting that's fantastic but they are to motivate me in the shop because if I know that I start a story and I'm talking about something that I'm doing, then I have to keep working on that thing or switch to another thing to keep working in the shop. Cause you know, that's I need motivation and there's no one with me. We're all working alone in our shops. So I motivate myself by doing the stories. And I just try to make it sound as entertaining as possible for for me you know, at the end of the day, I watch all my stories and that the first thing I do is I look at it and I go, how entertaining was this to me personally? Second thing I do is I look at how many people have seen it. Right. And, uh, and, you know, it doesn't, the one thing I never understand is the first story of the day always has the most views. But then when you get to the last story, it's always got like half the views of the first one. And I'm thinking to myself, everybody's got to start with the first story. So how is it that the last story, like like people are just dropping off, they're not watching all the way through? I I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, there's a trail
2: off. Right. Always. That's interesting that you say that because I think most of my Instagram posts, I don't know if it's motivation. I mean, in some ways it is motivation, but I think most of mine are, in some ways they're telling the story of what I'm doing so that I have someone to talk to. (laughs) I mean, I'm making something in the shop. I'm alone in the shop. Um, Most of the stuff I do in my day job, I can't really post stories about, but it's something I'm doing and I just want to have someone to talk to about it. You know, even if it's trivial, I'm like, oh, look at that, that, uh, that, that made a really weird chip or, oh man, I was trying to do that and it, you know, and it blew up or, you know, it broke in half or totally, you know, I was trying to make this thing and it, and something went awry and And I just find it interesting, and I just want to talk to somebody about it, and I don't have somebody that I can just yeah. pick up the phone and say, "Hey, you won't believe what happened." so I post something about it to initiate a conversation in hopes that you know someone out there will be like, "Oh that's crazy the time it happened to me, I did this yeah Tanda
0: have you seen any of the stories I did um, about my shop droid a1c4
2: mm, not that I recall
0: so this past summer um, I had that storage unit buyout where I got the 400 tools and in in that there was this old air compressor and it was one of these air compressors that had like, like cast iron feet. So somebody had screwed it to a piece of plywood and then put it on casters. And these are like the squeakiest casters going. And so whenever you roll it around, it starts making these squeaky sounds and it sounds like a droid, like from Star Wars. So I I nicknamed him A1C4. And then there was a whole series of stories where like I was talking to him and then you would hear him talking back. You would hear the little squeaky sounds like off camera. But then sometimes like I'd turn the camera around and then he would just start like running away, like making the squeaky sounds. And I'm like, well, we're not done over here. You know, so I was that's what you're talking about, like having a conversation with someone in the shop. He was my shop droid and I still have him. And I don't want to get rid of them, but I have another air compressor now. <laughs>
2: so I'm battling like I've left you for another air compressor.
0: Well, it, that's the thing. It's like which which is more important is that is that I have someone to talk to, or I have a better air compressor.
2: You know, I, like this is a serious conversation think, that's going on in my head. Bj, there are there are real people out there on Instagram that that might be more enjoyable to talk to than an air compressor. I mean, there there are some that aren't, but. You know they don't li- they don't listen to our show.
0: I mean, I I, I beg to differ on that, but uh, I I get your meaning.
2: Well, sucky
0: darn, I think it's time for one of them old timey commercial interludes and stuff. Hello, this is Chet Dennett, Johnson's Hardware. Have you ever gotten cornered by someone that wants to tell you a story that immediately begins to put you to sleep? Well, here at Johnson's. We have the solution so you can save face. Introducing the Shock-O-Matic Conversation Collar. That's right. You just put this collar around your neck. With its advanced circuitry, it detects as soon as you begin to nod off and emits small electrical pulses to jerk your head back awake so it looks like you're nodding in agreement along with this boring story. The Shock-O-Matic Collar comes in four different colors to match your attire at the office. The Shock-O-Matic Collar is not verified by any health organization and any muscle spasms that are uncontrolled are not guaranteed as actually safe. If you would like to purchase the shock Conversation Collar, it's trending right now online for only $59.95. You can contact us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, boys and girls, it's time for crossbreeding. Tanda, what skill goes well with storytelling?
2: Oh, skill goes well with storytelling. I would say um, confidence. I think that uh, you definitely have to have have the confidence to carry off good storytelling. And if you're unsure of yourself or of your story, either one, that it's uh, it's difficult to tell a good tell a good story. Sidebar: Tom.
0: Yeah, Tanda is trying to pass off confidence as a skill when at best it's like a virtue. So,
1: you know what? Let me stop you right there. Last week you said reading, so I don't think you can judge anybody forever on this category.
0: Yeah, but reading is an actual skill. Mm. Mm. Like her answer is like being happy. Being happy is not a skill. That's a feeling,
1: you know? It's You know what I'm saying? Like Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, but if um You know, because it's only one week out, I feel like you still have no credibility. So, like, if you were making this argument next week, I'd be a little bit more okay with it. But since it's so close to your complete screw-up last week with reading, I'm going to dismiss it. Fair enough?
0: Not really, Tom. I mean, you've only listened to the one episode since we actually started the podcast. So, I mean, mean, (laughs) that doesn't really make it valid. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, she's coming back. Yeah, oh, Tanda, ten that was uh, that was yeah. quite an answer. Um, but, yeah, you know, no,
2: I think I think it's a good answer. I think if you are going to be a good storyteller, then you got to improve your confidencing skills.
1: Yeah, yep, yep. Hey, uh, real quick, Tanda, sidebar. Yeah, yeah. So um, <clears throat> I don't know if you caught that, but PJ and I were just in a sidebar, and he was picking on you for your uh, for it not being a skill. And I kind of I tried to put him in his place about uh, you know. Bring, I brought up the reading thing from last week. And I just wanted you to know that he disapproves, but um, I defended you, okay? I I really I really appreciate that, Tom. I do. I, I
2: really do. I got your back. Yeah. No, thank I you. Got- thank you.
1: <laughs> okay, good. Oh, he's coming back. He's coming hey, back. Hey, hey, PJ, sidebar.
2: Yeah, Tanda? Hey,
1: hey <laughs>
2: PJ, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but- Were you just in a sidebar with Tom? <laughs> I was just in a sidebar with Tom, and and he's telling me what you guys talk about. Do you know that he tried to use the fact that, the fact
0: that he listened to one show last week, he hasn't listened to any other show we've ever
2: produced. He tried to use that against me. He did. He did. And I really, I shouldn't be sharing out of school with whatever Tom you know tells me in a sidebar. But I just, I thought you should know.
0: I don't know this guy. We, we might have to revisit his contract in the future. I don't know. He's a up. Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, I don't want to get Tom in trouble or anything, but you know, I just, I just think we need to, we, we need to, just be knowledgeable of what's going on, you know, in the background. When
0: is Tom not in trouble?
2: I, how does Tom stay out of trouble?
0: I don't know. He's like the William Lutz of this podcast. It's like every week he's about to get fired, and yet he still keeps coming back. Up. He's coming back right now. There he is. All, all right, Tom. Yeah, yep. <clears throat> just so you know, Tanda and I just had a sidebar. <laughs> I'm just letting you know in case you, you didn't figure it out. All, all right. So, all right. Uh, completely, uh, Tom, it's your turn. Crossbreeding. What skill goes well with storytelling? Lying. That is a skill. Huh? That is a skill. Lying is a skill.
1: N- nailed it. Man, that Do, was you good.
0: Wanna, that, is that your... The, I
1: mean, I don't... I wouldn't say I recommend lying, but... You should probably be good at it, if the opportunity or the necessity ever came up. It takes practice.
0: It does take practice.
1: Lying, lying makes perfect. Or so, I, somebody said something like that once.
0: I am not a good liar, but I am excellent at twisting the truth. And there, there is a very big difference. I have, uh, in addition to the bad memory, I have what I call comic hearing, almost. Whenever somebody says something to me, I almost always hear it differently than whatever they say, and the way I hear it is way more funny than what they actually meant to say. So mm-hmm. that ends up twisting the truth, um, and and it's not, it's not like lying, but I guess it's the same effect.
1: Now, PJ, before I ask you, I need you to know that you are on probation from last week, you know, the whole reading kerfuffle. Mm-hmm. So if you need a minute, we can take a minute. We'll just cut—you know, we'll cut— the next 10 minutes out of the recording and, and you can come up with something really good. So I'll give you a minute and then you go ahead oh, with, no. with yours. No, no, no.
0: I've got a really good one that ties in from last week. Since you love my reading answers so much. Writing. The skill the skill <laughs> that goes well with storytelling is illustration because... All right. Well done. There well are done. illustrating illustrated stories, which you have to read, by the way, Tom. So...
1: Yes. You don't was, have to. Just for the other people listening, you don't have to read. Well,
0: that's true. You don't have to read them. Can read. You, you can.
1: Does that
2: mean I can still switch mine to writing? I think so.
0: Are you Are you switching answers, Tanda?
1: Yeah, I'm going to say writing with confidence. Writing. Wait, writing with confidence, or and confidence?
2: No, no, just writing. Okay. I was just trying to bridge it there.
0: Writing is a skill. <clears throat> I think I think we've covered all the bases here: illustrating, writing, and whatever Tom said. I don't remember. Welcome to the Simple Solution. As always here on the podcast, we are constantly trying to help one another whenever problems arise. And Tom's got a problem that he needs Tanda and I to help fix. He's kept it a secret. We don't know exactly what he's going to say, but we're on the ball. We're ready to go. Tom, what what is the problem that you're having?
1: All right. So I told you in dealer's corner that I bought a tractor. And one of the tasks I would like the tractor to accomplish is moving milled lumber around my yard for stacking or whatever reason. Maybe just for fun. But the <clears throat> it's a lawn tractor, so imagine the back of it's just got that little thin plate with a hole in it where you can put a pin through and, and yada yada. But how do I make something that can haul multiple-sized different pieces of lumber that I kind of can't carry on my own, most of them. I, I need to make some beams also. So, with that, what you got?
0: I mean, I think you should just start weightlifting, and then you could carry them without the tractor.
1: That's a good idea. I could cut small size logs and do it, like, Rocky style. Sure, yeah. And just start lifting logs until I can lift bigger and bigger logs. Yeah, that would
0: work. you know, get some chickens and then chase the chickens, too, just like Rocky. That's, well, I
1: think we have our answer. Thanks for joining yeah, Simple well, Solution. That was good
2: is it, is it lumber that you're using as lumber or is it something that, I mean, could you just throw a rope or a chain around it and ah. throw a half hitch on it and pull it? Or is it, are you looking for something that, that rolls or slides or?
1: Uh, I think I would prefer not to drag it. Um, I will be drag, it will be going across my lawn, which I don't want to destroy, It will, at some point, like not only do I have to mill it, I have a chainsaw mill, so I'm milling it where the log fell. I'm not moving the whole log, I'm moving the pieces that I cut, and it's going to go to an area in my yard where I'm stacking it for a year or two, or until I need it, and then I will use that same rig to get it to my garage, where my shop is. So I don't really want to drag the wood for a number of reasons. One, preserve my lawn. Two, preserve the wood. Um. Do you, now, I do, people
2: may not be familiar with this, but we had an implement for our tractor that was called, that we called sweeps. And it was just like this uh, thin kind of arrowhead shaped blade that would, that you could put down and it would kind of dive in just a little bit and dig right under the surface. And and it was you know it was kind of like plowing only it was really shallow and so it was great for removing any kind of vegetation cuz it just kind of like cut the roots off and kind of tilled up the surface and i think that would be i think that would be an excellent choice um for getting rid of the lawn so you didn't have to worry about it
0: that that would get rid of the lawn yeah for oh, sure oh see
2: okay it would get rid of the lawn But then once you don't have a lawn anymore then uh then you could just drag stuff across it without any problem.
1: So, so while I, you're not wrong, but I'd like to keep the lawn. So if that changes anything in your plan, mm. what, you know, would that change anything? Oh, so you're, so you're kind of partial to the lawn. A little, yeah, a little bit, little, I like the grass, you know, I like the grass. Okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, I'll, I'll wait, you know what? I, I think I have a solution for you, Tom. Uh, how are your, uh, how do you feel about marbles?
1: I'm I'm, uh, I'm indifferent. Well,
0: you know, if you can get a lot of uh, the jumbo size marbles, like, you know, maybe like a, I don't know, a dump, Trump's, dump truck size, you know, amount, uh, you could just make a, mm-hmm. a little path of marbles, and then uh, you could attach the, the log to the tractor however you want, and then just slide it along the marbles, and, you know, problem solved. Wouldn't tear up the lawn, slide nice and easy. I mean, it's basically like you could also use uh, loose ball <coughs> bearings, um, you
2: know, mm. yeah. And if you use ball bearings yeah. and you have a bunch of different sizes, you can three D print little cups to hold them, so they just stay there and roll.
0: That's true, like a conveyor system.
1: Yeah. So do you think? Do you think it would impact my ability to mow my lawn? Do you think those would get into? No, no way. The lawn is going to be way higher. the The marbles and the
0: ball bearings would be at the ground level. There's, there's no way that the lawnmower would pick those up. Unless you're like... Wouldn't
1: they just sink into the dirt and not roll? I'm pretty sure. You
2: you get more. Well, that's why why you have to 3D print the little holders for them.
1: Yeah. And just lay them all over the lawn. But the, the holders don't sink into the grass. The holders are...
2: I don't know. Well, you could print a sheet of holders. Your your 3D printer is like 400 millimeters square, right? So you could you could print like a mat.
1: Well, let me let me try and get you guys. Maybe maybe I can, you know, focus your energies. Like let's maybe we should use wheels. Like let's start there. Like okay, whatever your idea is, it probably should have a couple of wheels on it. Like specifically two possibly more. Oh, yeah, I've got it. Yeah. All right. So I I used
0: yeah. I, I, yeah. Wheels. Wheels. Yeah. We, we can. Uh, OK, so I have an idea for wheels. Um, yeah. I used to see when I was a kid, these trucks that were pulling. I I think they were cut down trees, but they weren't they weren't cut up. They were just like, I, I th- you know what? They weren't trees. They were telephone poles. And the way that they moved them was the the back of the like the back of where it was being towed was like two wheels, and let's just say it had like a plank, and then it had a strap going up and over, and it had secured all of the telephone poles, and then there was nothing in the middle, and you go all the way to the front, <clears throat> and then there was another one with two wheels and a strap, and then it just had like a little hitch that went on the truck. And so, it, it basically, it makes its own trailer. You just attach the wheels, and then you can just pull it however you want.
2: Huh? I thought... Uh, now, now, you have two wheels. Do you have? You want to use two wheels? Does your tractor have a P? Sure. Does your tractor have a PTO?
1: Not no. Just for the okay mower. Yeah.
2: So you'll probably have to power it. You probably have to like jack up the tractor a little bit so you can like put a belt or something on the uh, on the wheel on the on the yeah. on the rear wheel of the tractor just to give you drive power, and then uh, yep. and then I'm thinking just like a lumber pitching machine. You get your two wheels and you just put them next to one another. You make and you can make it adjustable just where launch, it can Yeah, where it just launch them. Yeah. And then you just you just feed lumber in and
0: make sure you duck when you do that though, Tom.
2: It's gonna go right over the top of the lawn, not even mess it up at all. You could shoot lumber across mm. your lawn into stacks.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Um well you both definitely used wheels. That was good. That was good. Let's say, uh, let's maybe, maybe we add another parameter to focus in our efforts here, which I don't, have. I would like it to I thought wheels, wheels was a good one. I, I mean, I thought that was a good I start. Thought, I thought we would get a little closer with the wheel constraint, but I feel like we're still a little far away. So maybe let's say with wheels, we could we could make some sort of a trailer. Maybe maybe it's not a trailer that attaches to the tractor, but it attaches to the log, and then somehow the log attaches to the tractor. Uh, maybe something in that arena.
2: Oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Oh 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 yeah. Okay, uh, that that that's
0: perfect. So get get some of those um those those big pneumatic wheels. You know, well, well maybe they're not pneumatic. Maybe they're solid rubber. But they're they're the kind that, you know that they're they're for like a wagon, like a replacement wagon wheel, you know, like the, they're about maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know, 12 inches. So you get four of those. Okay. And then you get some lag bolts. Okay. Lag bolts that are like the diameter of the, of the axle for those wheels and then just go to the yep. log and just screw the wheels in two at the front and then two at the back. And then the log becomes like a giant skateboard and then you could just pull it or ride it down a hill or something.
1: How, how would you, how would you turn? How do you turn a skateboard? I don't believe the same principles are in effect in this situation. Oh,
2: you'll you'll have to going kind of build you you'd have to build a truck into the into the uh, into the assembly at the end of the log, but uh, but that could work. It's kind of hard to lean a log to one side or the other. But if you just have two wheels, you can just put them on the ends of the log, you know, and just roll the log.
1: Yeah, but the log is like twelve feet long. That's a lot of weight on the tractor. Oh
2: no, no, you just make the log the axle. You put a wheel on each end of the log. Oh. Oh, that way. And there, there, there. You go. Yeah, and you could save two. Oh. You could save two wheels doing it that way. You just, you just make like a a gripper, like a big vice jaw on the wheel, and you clamp it on the log on each end of the log, and you're, and then you could even stand on the log. You could make a game of it. You could stand on the log and roll it across the lawn.
1: Um, that sounds like the answer, Tom. I- I'm liking this. Before I shoot this, before I shoot this option down, what would the name of this game be? Well, I don't know. I guess it would be
2: the uh, um, log with wheels. Brilliant. I, I think that's what I think what you call it. Usually, like wheel logs.
0: I mean, that sounds like a good thing to me, Tom. I don't know why you're you're having such a hard time. That's that's like that's a twofer. You know, you get a game and you get to move the log at the same time. I mean, you just bring your kids in and you keep
1: them entertained for hours. Hmm. Hey, real quick on an unrelated note, you know, when you're talking on Instagram and you like need a solution for something, but the reality is, is you're going to just like try a solution in the next 30 seconds and not have enough time for people to respond. And then even when they do respond, the ideas just don't align with what you wanted. Um, I hate that, but let's get back to this story. And,
0: uh, I completely unrelated to what we're talking about, Tom. (laughs)
1: So you're saying you've
2: already come up with you've already come up with a solution to this, and you're just saying if if we've come up with the same solution. And now I'm thinking that you came up with the logomatic uh, log roller.
1: Yeah. So what I was thinking is maybe putting uh, you build a square frame out of steel. Um, you know the 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 hole through the frame is at least maybe twelve inches square to handle the biggest beam that I might make. You put two wheels at the bottom of the frame, whatever, you know, if the frame is standing up on edge, like a picture frame would hang on a wall, the wheels are going to go in. All right, you have to help me. I don't know how to tell you this. Uh, At the bottom.
0: I don't know, but it sounds like you're describing the thing that I already said. That's what it sounds like.
1: I'm pretty sure I'm not, but hear me out. Maybe I am. But then you can lift up the, the, you can lift up the log or not the log, but the, uh, the, the, beam and you can slide the square over the beam and then it automatically kicks over and pinches the beam because the wheels are on the bottom and the square oh man this makes perfect sense in my head i don't know why i can't describe this yeah though. no i see what you're saying did you follow any of that yeah so Tanta, are you listening because it sounds like this
0: is not going to work at all
2: yeah no i think that i think that would work um so you, you've got a, you've got a frame, you've got a square frame with wheels at the bottom, you yep. know, and you, and you stand it up on the wheels and the frame's standing nice and straight up in the air and then you put it on the yes. beam, but then it
1: wants to tilt over and grab the, and pinch. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can put it anywhere on the beam, even half. Full. That's not funny at all. Oh no. That, that seems like a perfectly viable solution. Right. You know
0: what? Uh, I, I just thought of something, Tom, um, in order for that to be more efficient, instead of using, like, a piece of square sheet tube, um, use round stock and just make a square shape.
1: Wouldn't that slip? No, it'll pinch. I could use copper. I got plenty of that. It probably wouldn't slip. It, and it wouldn't mar your wood up as much. Yeah. That's true. That's true. That's a good idea. Now, what do I do on the hitch end? I have to have a contraption that hitches, like, connects to the wood and then goes into the hitch pin?
2: Just, Just do the opposite. Just make your square tilt tilt the other way and put a and put a pin on it to go in your tractor hitch. Oh, with a pin. Oh wow. And the square just flips um toward the tractor. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. So it pinches down. And then you and then you put the and there's a pin on the bottom of it. It could pretty much be a square with a pin on it. You pick pick it up and it pinches the same way. Except you might have to have a little bit of an extension on it otherwise uh, you know when when you turn it will not it oh, will knock you off the tractor yeah just <laughs> the, end of, the end the end of the log will swipe you off the tractor
1: right that wouldn't be good
2: so if it had a little bit of a tongue on it then it would work
0: if Tom if that yeah. if that idea if that slips if the if the piece of wood slips out you could always use a bear trap same effect mm. same okay
1: good idea that'll work we had a my, do my, it.
2: our neighbor had a bear trap that we played with when we were kids. It was scary. We we would set it up and then we would drop drop sticks and so forth into it and and squeal as as, as it snapped and we we imagined that if it were our limb.
0: How many friends did you lose to that trap?
2: Just a couple, um, and they yeah. weren't real good friends. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's always the weak ones that go first.
2: Yeah, I mean anybody you can talk into, you know, like jumping into a bear trap is.
0: Was there a solution? I'm not sure. All right, it's time for Short and Sweet. Tom, do you have anything to wrap up the show?
1: No, I think I'm done for today. Thanks for asking.
0: Tanda, do you have anything to wrap up the show?
2: Um, I would say that if you're you're looking at improving your storytelling, at least like actually standing up and talking to people storytelling, that uh uh, toastmasters is something worth looking into it's not you know most people think it's like these like stodgy old folks uh you know sitting around you know telling telling dry stories but it it can be a lot of fun there's an improv element and there are contests for for humorous storytelling and so forth but it's a kind of an enjoyable sideline to improve your storytelling abilities
0: toastmasters is not a sponsored part of this podcast
2: and I don't recommend it. <laughs> I don't recommend them.
0: <clears throat> well, my short and sweet is: right after last week's episode, I ordered a three D printer, and it showed up. Woo hoo! It showed up today. I'm, it worked, and, Tom.
1: Very excited.
0: Yes, your your incessant <laughs> badgering forced my hand. So, yes, it was very effective. Plus, plus, you know, I actually wanted one, so it's uh, it's right now. I, I managed to open the box before the podcast, but it's it's not out of the box. And uh they sent me the wrong plug. They sent me a plug for Europe. I'm I'm almost positive it doesn't fit what I have, so I have to go find a a suitable plug. And um I have to build a table for it to sit on and I'm halfway done with it, so it might even be like another two days before I actually get this thing running. The suspense is killing me.
2: I think that's one of the things with with getting a good deal or coming upon something kind of unexpected, or you've been thinking about for a long time, and you finally pull the trigger, and then you have this intermediate step of having to make space for it, or make a place for it, or build infrastructure to support it, which is always kind of a letdown after it comes in.
0: Oh, I forgot to mention, I did get a deal on this uh, on, on the printer. Uh, everybody, I mean, I think it retails for like. Between 650 and 630, somewhere around there. Most websites have it for 595, and Creality had it on sale for St. Patrick's Day for 555, but then there was tax, and that brought it back up to 600 bucks, which I was not a fan of. So I did a deep dive, and of all places, I found a flash sale on BangGood, and I've never ordered from them before, but I ended up finding it for. free shipping no tax and on top of that I guess because it was my first order they gave me a free gift I got a dust and gas mask for the shop so like a breather Uh, $25 value free so I look at that as like you know an extra bonus Uh, so yeah I got an awesome deal brand new that's it that's all I got very cool We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. Uh, Hey, guys. uh, What if this thing happened? What would you do? All right. We're bringing back What If for the second go-round. And last time... The what if was zombie apocalypse, but this time we decided to go with something a little sweeter, or at least I decided. They protested, but I overruled them. We're going to talk about what if you got stranded on a desert island, not a deserted island, an island made of desserts. And, of course, you get dropped on the island with a red toolbox full of tools, all your favorite tools that would fit in a red toolbox. How would you survive? Every, every dessert imaginable is on the island. There's no actual food. There's no chicken. There's no water. But there's chocolate. There's caramel. There's cookies. What would be your first go-to move, Tanda?
2: I think that uh, like, like many civilizations or you know something where you just have to boot up, I'd start out with the wheel. And maybe it's just because we were talking about wheels earlier, but I think I would, uh, I would grab a fruitcake cake. And, uh, or maybe a couple fruit cakes, and, and make myself a small cart so that I could, uh, you know, cart around some of the desserts for eating and construction and, I don't know, maybe defending myself.
0: What are you making the cart out of besides um, fruit wheels?
2: Oh, I, I don't know. Probably, you know, some kind of cake or, or some kind of sheet cake or something, maybe. I don't know. Let's see.
0: Uh, I don't think sheet cake is structural. That's not going to hold up.
2: Well, how long has this island been there? Is it all fresh? Well,
0: yeah, everything is fresh, but I'm saying like, you know, if you attach wheels to sheet cake, the sheet cake is just going to crumble.
2: Well, I I could attach a uh, I could pour something on the sheet cake. That would work. I just pour something over it. I could I could melt down some uh, hard candy, pour it into the sheet cake, then let it solidify again. And then I would have like a trailer of sheet cake and candy.
0: I mean, the hard candy definitely could work. I mean, I, I think if I was going to try to do what you're doing, I'd get like some some licorice and weave the licorice together and then pour the hard candy over the licorice. That, that might be a little more stable than cake. Cake is
2: mostly air. Well, I didn't know we had licorice. I didn't even see the licorice. It's an island full of desserts. Is it black licorice or is it red licorice?
0: We have every flavor licorice. It's desserts.
2: Hmm. There's all every
0: candy imaginable, all the desserts. It's, imagine like Halloween. It's everything that's everything is there. Reese's peanut butter cups, not sponsored.
1: Candy
2: corn.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Candy. And I wouldn't recommend. It. I wouldn't recommend it though.
1: Well, all right, PJ. You seem to have a thorough inventory of the candy on on the island. What's your first move?
0: Uh, I got to go find a hard chocolate. Yeah.
1: Why?
2: Because I love chocolate. I figured. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Fair enough.
0: I, I don't care about the rest of this stuff.
2: I, I, is there any motivation to get off the island? I mean, I'm I'm kind of fond of candy. <laughs> no. I mean, I'm going to find the the stockpile of hard chocolate.
0: Then I'm going to find a gingerbread house and I'm moving in. I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to get off of there. What are you talking about?
2: What's the What's the island surrounded by?
1: Water. Uh. And and there's a main island about thirty feet east.
2: Well,
0: you, you can't get to the main island. You're stranded on— Why not? Because you're stranded on a desert island. That's what stranded means. It means you can't get off.
1: I don't think that's what stranded really means. You, Of course you can get off. You can just jump in the ocean and start swimming. You're going to die, but you got off the island. Well,
0: technically that's true.
2: Yeah, but you can swim faster if you're all hopped up on candy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah,
1: true. yeah. If
0: you had a lot of sugar in your system, you definitely get out farther before the sugar coma sets in and your muscles lock up.
1: I mean, marshmallows float, so I think we're saved.
0: Hey, well, you know, if you had a way to make a marshmallow boat that you could actually like prevent from separating, you might be able to get off there.
2: Mm. Marshmallows also <laughs> dissolve.
0: Oh, that's true. They do dissolve in water.
2: You might have to make a marshmallow maybe marshmallows wrapped in something that, that doesn't dissolve quite as quick.
1: Now that I'm thinking about it uh, in chocolate. Chocolate covered marshmallows? Like fruit fruit leather, fruit leather or something.
2: I think almost
0: every dessert on the island would be dissolvable by water, wouldn't it?
1: Not necessarily.
0: I mean, even hard candies are dissolved by water. It take longer, but I mean they would eventually dissolve. Everything that's sh- made of sugar dissolves.
1: Mm. What about saltwater taffy? I feel like there's a property in there that would prevent it.
0: I think it would last the longest. Taffy would last longer. Mm. But I think eventually it would it would dissolve, yeah. That's a problem. I think I think making a boat out of candy or desserts is probably not the best the best move.
2: Well certainly not the best use of candy. Oh uh, yeah. That would be eating it. Certainly Hands not. Hands down. We gotta agree there.
0: So so am I am I understanding this correctly that the two of you your your goal is to to try to get off the island?
1: I would like to get off the island. I think I would come back to the island, but I would like my freedom to leave and and return as I wish.
2: Maybe go to a neighboring solid
1: bar.
0: Right. Get some fiber. That might be the next island over.
1: Yeah. I mean, I... I I, I mean, besides, it's it's freezing cold on this island. Why is it cold? Because it's a dessert island, not a desert island. Right. There's hot desserts. Mm, Fondue. I mean... I would make the argument that this is not a colder climate. I don't think desserts are going to last in a desert island environment. Well,
0: I mean, there could be a cold section of the island and a hot section. I mean, look at like the the chocolate lava
1: cakes. I mean, those are going to be hot. Well, if you're just going to make stuff up, what's the point of doing this? I, I'm not make.
2: I, there are very cold. There are very cold deserts. I was very clear in saying
0: that this is a desert island. There, every dessert known to man was on this island. That includes the hot desserts. <sighs> Are there sternos? I don't know how they're hot in this
1: cold climate. Geothermal heating. I mean, there's like a pool of hot chocolate. Dude, if it's hot, if this is a, if you're trying to tell me this is the equivalent of a desert island. No. And it's a dessert island. Then all the chocolate is melted and you can't even get your chocolate. Look, half the island is cold. The other half is hot. So you got all
0: the cold desserts on one side and all the hot desserts on the other side and the candy is, I don't know, somewhere in the middle. But I mean, you can have. Is it a gradual transition between temperatures or is it an abrupt line? I would say it's gradual. That makes more sense. But I mean, you've seen like those chocolate fountains where it's got like the hot liquid chocolate. You could like dip like an ice cream cone in and coat it with chocolate. That's hot. All
1: right. Hold on. Let me back up. But you have to run from one side of the island to the other. Yeah. Yeah. The only island I know that can do that is like North America. And at that point, they call it a continent. So how big is this island? It's big enough. Is it normal-sized desserts or is it really big desserts? Both, both,
2: because oftentimes when you have an island, then it then you know some kind of uh, pygmy results just because of the lack of of exposure and limited food and so forth, like the little pygmy elephants and stuff. So I'm thinking maybe there are little tiny desserts.
0: Well, you know, thinking thinking about like the the indigenous uh, inhabitants of the desert island. Uh, after I secured all the hard chocolate and found a gingerbread house, I'd probably go looking for Lady Godiva. You know, because I'm going to be a little lonely, and uh, she's not wearing any clothes, so she might be a little. I thought we were alone. I thought we were alone on this. I never said island. we were alone. I said you were desert. stranded. No, he didn't say he didn't say it was deserted. I said it was a desert island. What? You were stranded on a desert <sighs> island. I never said there weren't people there.
1: In the desert or not in the desert?
0: There's. There's no desert. It's dessert. Dessert. Listen to the emphasis, Tom. There's food everywhere. Okay. There's no sand, okay?
1: Who made the food? The, the beach is made of jelly beans. Ooh, that's interesting. That's sticky. Yeah, Cam. Are there licorice jelly beans in this beach of jelly beans? There's every jelly bean known to man. Even the nasty vomit ones from Jelly Belly? Yeah,
0: those too. Nobody wants those.
1: Why do they have to ruin things? It's probably where they all wound up. Now that
0: I think about it, nobody probably. would eat them. Could be.
2: Ugh. I had some. I, I bought some birdie bots, and they and they Gross. tasted like as advertised.
0: Yeah, every flavor, every flavor bean. I, I actually I saw that at my discount store the other day, and I picked it up and looked at it, and the first flavor I saw was dirt. <laughs> I'm not kidding, dirt. And then right next to it was earwax. I'm like, who wants these? Who is eating these <laughs> jelly beans? This is disgusting. It's like, oh no!
2: There is an audience huge, for everyone. Huge Harry Potter fans. Yeah, <laughs> they probably the dirt ones probably came off the beach of some desert island. Most likely, or, right. or desert island. But if it was a dirt <laughs> desert island, it might not have had any sand.
0: So, so I'm um, getting back to um, since you guys are just totally not even trying. Uh, I, after I found Lady Godiva, I would find uh, a priest or a shaman, and uh, you know we'd get married. Definitely.
2: Well, you you would get married to a priest or a shaman? No, to Lady Godiva. Well, well Lady Godiva was... T- <laughs> I, want, I want the oh. priest or the shaman to marry
0: me and Lady Godiva. I mean, I don't know if you've seen her, but she's hot blonde on a horse, not wearing nothing. So, I mean, you know, unless there's some other chocolate goddess... So she's
2: wearing everything? There's a horse?
0: There is a horse, yeah.
2: I'm not eating any more of those jelly beans off the beach. I mean, I'm not eating the jelly beans... Not after the horse. Not me. No. If there's a horse, I'm I'm staying away from anything Ugh. I'm picking up on this island.
1: This one tastes like horse and grape. Ugh. That's why I stick to the hard chocolate. There's no mystery there. Yeah, but it's melted. We've covered this. No, no,
0: no. That's the hot chocolate. I'm talking about the hard chocolate that's not melted. Yeah, you're confusing you it hot. with the
2: chocolate that you dip the ice cream in that you've run with oh, from, the other, from the I other side the of the is... island. Yeah, you have to run Got across it. the island Got with it. the ice cream and then dip it in the chocolate. All right.
1: I have a question. Is the hot chocolate on the hot side or the cold side of the island?
2: The hot
0: side, obviously.
1: Why would you drink hot chocolate on the hot side of the island?
0: Well, that's where it exists. If you want to drink it when you're, you're cold, you would have to carry it over there. I mean...
1: Or just go to the hot side of the island when you're cold.
0: I mean, realistically...
1: Negating the need for hot chocolate... I think this is falling apart underneath you.
0: I think you could probably make like a really long slide out of licorice and like coat it with the hot chocolate, so maybe you could get something hot and then slide over to the cold side. That's possible.
1: That's possible. Just make sure you use red licorice for obvious
0: reasons. You you use red licorice with hot chocolate
1: because you like the black licorice. Oh, I didn't. I didn't have any. I didn't have any follow up to my statement. I just said things.
0: Oh, oh. I would. I would prefer chocolate licorice to go with the. Hot chocolate slidiness.
1: Chocolate licorice? It's not even licorice then.
2: Oh, there's all kinds of licorice.
0: Yes, it is. Chocolate swizzlers? It's like the best.
2: When I when I was growing up, my neighbor worked at the licorice factory. And uh, and he would bring bags of rejected licorice of all flavors. Rejected? Rejected. rejected, rejected. Licorice. How do you
0: rejected. how do you reject like what is the failure criteria for licorice?
2: Well, it was. It's black licorice. It, it was. It's black
0: licorice.
2: No, if it would burn on the ends, the things that cut the licorice apart would sometimes burn the little ends where it's like snipped from being a one huge length of licorice. And sometimes it was just the packaging was misprinted, or was, you know, the printing was half cut off. I, I want to know who
0: is who who prefers the black licorice that tastes like shoe leather.
2: Uh, that's that's. Oh, I like the black licorice that tastes like black licorice. I'm
1: a, I'm actually a big fan of black licorice.
2: The black licorice that tastes like shoe leather is no good. It uh, needs to taste like black was, licorice. Ugh.
0: Nah.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. Mm. I'm only making fun of it because people like to make fun of it, but black licorice is the only true licorice. Red licorice is candy. It's not licorice.
0: This explains a lot about you, Tom.
2: I would have to agree
1: yeah. with Tom. Facts, I'm, I'm, I, facts. I'm black oh
2: licorice.
1: Oh, my God. No, that stuff is terrible. That's like... Now, listen, you can have a Twizzler in any color you want. That's fine. It's a candy. But it's not licorice. I I will agree with you there. That's like almond almond milk. I will agree with you it's there. It's not milk. Just, just the same. Because, see,
0: I agree with you on that note because, in my opinion, chocolate is not candy. Chocolate is chocolate. Candy is something where, like, you're adding in sugar and all their kinds of sweeteners like hard candy or like Milky Ways or something chocolate comes out of the ground
1: pop quiz hot shot what is white chocolate that's not chocolate you're correct it's confectionery it's it's candy yeah it's not chocolate at all no i don't i don't eat that garbage yeah. but you
2: but you eat red licorice
1: proving my argument about licorice oh no i agree with you about the licorice
0: i do <laughs> i think twizzlers is indeed candy and the chocolate twizzlers is chocolate candy Chocolate flavored candy, uh, but but yeah, uh, chocolate to me is a food group. That's that's not candy. You can get a chocolate bar, like if you have it if it's mixed with like nougat and nuts and caramel, that is candy. But if you just have a solid chocolate bar, that's a food.
2: Hold on, are we still on the island?
0: I'm on the island.
2: No, we voted Tom off the island. Oh, thank goodness. Him yeah, and Lady Godiva because they don't eat black licorice.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. I'm I'm about to get. Uh, well, you know what? You you can come back on Tom for my wedding to
1: Lady Godiva. Okay, I'll bring, I'll bring an empty box of chocolates. That's just a box. I don't want to be insensitive.
2: That's what that's that's that called a box. <laughs> Listen, don't don't judge my
1: gift
0: giving. That's rude. I mean, that would be a great gift if you're giving it to like a cat or or a small child because they love boxes. And chocolate's not good for them. well. That's true.
1: I'll just fill up the box as I walk towards the wedding.
0: It better not be full of jelly beans.
1: What would be the drink of choice on this island? Milk? Is milk uh, a dessert? Would it be allowed on the island? I mean
0: I mean maybe I guess chocolate milk could be considered a dessert. Leche? Leche. Spanish mm. Spanish milk? milk. Um
2: Dulce well, yeah, Dulce de Leche. Uh, I mean that's candy. Yeah. I mean it
0: it's candy. Leche is just milk in Spanish. I don't know if you
1: dulce 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 de leche. No, I know, but what's that that rice that rice milk drink?
0: That's chocolate milk,
1: candied milk, caramel. Uh, I don't know what. Well, caramel
0: is you can have liquid caramel. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of what what liquid would constitute a dessert that you could drink. That's a good question.
1: I mean, Jello on the hot side of the island. No, Jello.
0: You can't drink Jello.
1: Oh yes, I can. <laughs> Jello, because there's no refrigerators on the island. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, are you calling me a
0: liar? I, you know what? I just I saw this meme the other day, and it was a guy came a guy came to um, a, a costume party, and he says, "What are you supposed to be?" And he says, "I'm a harp." And he goes, "No, you're way too small for that." And he says, "Are you calling me a liar?" Oh my god, that's oh,
1: so bad That's so bad I know I, Are um, we all on the same island? Because I want to be on a separate island How many dessert islands do you think there are, Tom? I'm really hoping for at least two No, there's
0: one. <laughs> oh gosh So Tanda's like trying to make a cart out of fruitcake You're trying to get off the island on marshmallows And I'm basically moved in That's I think that's where we're at yeah. Like yeah, that. sounds about right. <laughs> sounds- <laughs> All right. And thank you for joining us for this episode of What If? I think. I think. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, I for sure think it was going to say that. That's That's for sure.